nearly half of the women, so this is 5,000 women, non-Deloitte, so the women outside Deloitte, across 10 countries, nearly half of them told us they feel burned out. Now, they also told us that the stress and anxiety were on the up. They told us that the always-on culture that existed during the pandemic, I certainly felt always-on. You know, my laptop, I would walk past it and I'd have this sort of temptation to go in and check and then three hours later, I'd still be there, still carrying on. And that is still continuing. And then we spoke to all the women that we polled. A large number described their mental health as being poor. And now, if you look at what burnout is, and I think there's a lot of talk about burnout. And I was speaking to someone recently who said, I'm so burnt out of talking about burnout. But it's really real and it's there. And we've got to understand the causes of it. And it used to be in the old days that it used to very much the cause and solution used to be down to the individual. And it used to be, oh, you know, go away, do some mindfulness, take a bit of time off. That's not the reality. So burnout is effectively chronic workplace stress that has not been adequately managed. Welcome back to The Fix, where every week I interview thought leaders, world leaders, academics, business leaders, activists, and ordinary people who are taking action to build workplaces that work for everyone. Before we start, just a quick request. If you like The Fix, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. You can also sign up to our newsletter and get in touch at www.thefixpodcast.org. Some of you might already know this, but I'm a professional speaker. I talk at hundreds of events all around the world about my research and my books. And one of the questions that often comes up from audience members is about hybrid working. People want to know if companies are going to keep hybrid working in place, what are some of the challenges with hybrid working, and how we can ensure that hybrid working is here to stay. And often audience members will get really upset with my response. So I'm going to try and take a few minutes and explain why I have the view that I do. I'm a researcher, so I'm not massively interested in people's opinions. I'm much more focused on hard data and empirical research. And what the research is telling us is that hybrid working is something most employees generally want. It's also something that most companies plan on having in place. And hybrid working does impact our productivity because we get hours back to work that we might have otherwise used to commute. The challenge is that hybrid working does come at a cost. And for me, we need to be aware of these costs so that we can manage them. Hybrid working has been found to increase stress, loneliness, isolation and disengagement. It's a lot harder to start a new job and feel like you're part of the organization in a hybrid working environment. And in many ways, hybrid working erodes company culture. Now, that doesn't mean we get rid of hybrid working, because I really do believe it's here to stay. Rather, it means that we need to be aware of these challenges so we can take action to solve them. One of the big problems with hybrid working is that the challenges don't affect all of us equally. The consulting firm Deloitte has for the second year released its Women at Work report, which includes a survey of 5,000 women across 10 countries. The results provide a unique glimpse into the lives of women in the workplace amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The responses from around the globe made it clear that women's everyday workplace experiences were having a detrimental impact on their engagement. 
and that the pandemic was having a severe impact on women's lives and careers, including their work-life balance and well-being. Emma Codd, Global Inclusion Director for Deloitte, will be joining me today on the podcast to discuss the report's findings in more detail. We are going to unpack the issues that women face when it comes to hybrid working and flexible working, as well as how women can overcome the barriers to their advancement at work. While the 2022 survey shows a modest improvement in women's work-life balance, possibly because of the easing of pandemic restrictions, it also shows a negative long-term impact with many women feeling burnt out. Here, Emma shares more on this. More significant number of women reported feeling stressed and anxious all or most of the time. And that was just over, I think, a 10 percentage point when you look at Generation Z. That's just massive. And also burnout was really the sort of web that went all the way through the mental health side of the millennials report. So you've got that one bit of data that's really stark. And then you've got the women at work data. So we really wanted to probe around burnout, around mental health. It's really important to us as an organisation. We had some concerns because we'd seen this gender disparity in the millennials research. So nearly half of the women, so this is 5,000 women, non-Deloitte, so the women outside Deloitte, across 10 countries, nearly half of them told us they feel burned out. Now, they also told us that stress and anxiety were on the up. They told us that the always-on culture that existed during the pandemic, I certainly felt always-on. You know, my laptop, I would walk past it and I'd have this sort of temptation to go in and check. And then three hours later, I'd still be there, still carrying on. And that is still continuing. And then we spoke to all the women that we polled. A large number described their mental health as being poor. Now, if you look at what burnout is, and I think there's a lot of talk about burnout. And I was speaking to someone recently who said, I'm so burnt out of talking about burnout. But it's really real and it's there. And we've got to understand the causes of it. And It used to be in the old days that it used to very much the cause and solution used to be down to the individual. And it used to be, oh, you know, go away, do some mindfulness, take a bit of time off. That's not the reality. So burnout is effectively chronic workplace stress that has not been adequately managed. That is what burnout is. And there are a number of indicators that it's more likely to happen. And there are six of these factors And all of them relate to things that we all know instinctively we should have present in a workplace. So purpose, teamwork, equity, fairness, transparency, feeling part of something, belonging. And I think a lot of those things are either still aren't present or we feel as though they're not present or we lost them a bit during the pandemic and have failed to get them back. And then burnout, effectively, it is also more likely to happen when there is a mismatch between your experience and your expectation. And I think that's why we're seeing this higher rate amongst the women that we surveyed. What we're experiencing is not what we expected. We're often not experiencing the sort of six things that we want to see. So equity, fairness, all of those things. And then the reality is a lot of us, whether we like it or not, are still taking the primary caring role in the home. And outside work, and I'm a parent, I have two daughters who are 13 years old, and yet for some reason I'm still volunteering for things in my community and I feel guilty if I don't. And yet I'm the one that's working very, very long hours. I choose to do that. I love my job. But I think when I talk to my friends in the workplace, it's exactly the same thing. So I think the pandemic impacted all of us in different ways, isolation, being overwhelmed, all of these things. And then I think one of the good things 
that has come out is hybrid working. However, the findings on that, which I really wanted to probe because I had this feeling that it was not turning out to be the great includer. And actually, it was turning out to be another layer of exclusion. So that's the other thing. There are some things we could have learned and that we could be using this moment to reshape really the workplace, because actually, I love your podcasts and I love what you have to say, because one of my frustrations in life is organisations taking a fix the women approach. And I seriously don't know any women that need to be fixed. I know plenty of people that need development like everybody, but actually, I do know organisations that need to be fixed and the culture and just the ways of working. And this to me was a glorious opportunity to do some of that. And it's still there, but the findings of the survey are telling us that there's more to be done. When it comes to non-inclusive behaviours experienced in the workplace, more women in 2022 reported experiencing harassment or microaggressions of work a trend that was even more pronounced for LGBT plus women and women in racial and ethnic minority groups. The survey also found that 60% of women working in hybrid work arrangements report that they felt excluded. For these reasons and many others, most women indicated that they plan to leave their current employers within the next few years. Women that work in a hybrid way, which was I think just around half of the respondents have the opportunity to work in a hybrid way, Of those, 60% said they'd experienced exclusion in the past year when working in that way. Around a half said they weren't getting the access they needed to leaders. Now, we all know how important sponsorship is for anybody that's in an underrepresented group. It's so important. And suddenly, that's not there anymore. And then a large number basically had unclear expectations as to when and where to work. One of the things I really like that we do from a hybrid perspective, and I do this with my team, is everyone knows when I'm going to be there. Everybody. And my door is open. So, yes, I have to do calls for one bit of the day, but basically it's a big chunk of the day where I just say to people, this is our moment. Walk in, come and chat. Yes, I may seem busy, but it's really important that we're spending time together. That is clearly not happening enough with leaders. So if you look at what have you got, you've got exclusion. So people saying I'm feeling excluded. And we've all heard stories of the person that dials in and realizes everyone else is in the room. And that's really, really difficult. That's really not a great experience for anybody. But it's an experience that can be leveled if you've got somebody that's chairing the meeting in a way that enables everybody to contribute. And then you've got this sort of lack of access to sponsors, to leaders. And then you've got my concern is around proximity bias. We know that unconscious bias exists. We all know that it's there. And we all know how decisions, unfortunately, bias can play into those. That's a real concern. If somebody is, you're just not seeing them because you're not there at the same time as them. And then finally, the lack of predictability. I do think, again, I'll come back to the fact that as women, whether we like it or not, we typically assume the role of the primary carer or the carer in general And actually, as part of that, you need predictability. I certainly need predictability. And I'm lucky enough to have someone around me that helps me with that. That predictability is gone for many women. So I think that's a real challenge. Again, none of this is fatal. This is stuff that's really good we learn now as we're coming out of the pandemic and actually can build a better way of working. The real cost of all of these challenges is simple. Women leave. The report finds women are more likely to be looking for a new role in 2022 than they were a year ago. 
and burnout is the top driving factor. Nearly 40% of women actively looking for a new employer cited burnout as the main reason. For those who had already left an employer since the start of the pandemic, a lack of opportunity to advance was the most common reason. In fact, about one quarter of respondents rate their job satisfaction and motivation as poor or very poor, and almost half are less optimistic about their career opportunities compared to a year ago. More than half of all women surveyed want to leave their employer in the next two years, and only 10% plan to stay with their current employer for more than five years. Look at the picture for retention and understand the reasons why so many women are feeling the way that they're feeling. So you've got these issues around hybrid working that are emerging. You've got flexible working. Only a third of the women that we polled actually work for companies that offer flexible working. We actually then asked, do you think that asking to work in a flexible way, do you have concerns about that? 94% said, I'm really worried that it will impact my career progression. And then you've got 90% who said, well, I could, but why would I? Because my workload's not going to be adjusted. And you've sort of got this sitting there as well. We've been talking about flexible working for how many years? 15, 20? You've got great organisations like TimeWise and others that do so much work campaigning for this. And yet, for some reason, organisations still haven't got this right. Flexible working, I see, is actually fundamentally more basic than hybrid working. And if we can't get flexible working right, then, you know, it's going to be a challenge with hybrid. And then burnout. We've talked about the burnout data. It is a number one reason by a long way with those women that we spoke to and said, are you looking for another role at the moment? Number one reason was burnout. And so if you take all of those and you say, right, yes, there's a policy issue going on. Definitely, you know, offer flexible working, please. Organisations offer flexible working. It absolutely makes sense. But the thing that's really important about flexible working is leaders enabling it. And there's research done in the UK. We actually did a piece of research in the UK with TimeWise a good few years ago now. But I think the data is still really interesting. It's like, where are the barriers to it? And one of the barriers was leaders and managers not enabling it, managers making you feel bad about a certain amount of stigma. The same as we're hearing here from this research. So it's still clearly the similar challenges and barriers. And then you look at burnout and you think about what it is and about what's most likely to lead someone being burnt out. And then you look at hybrid and the importance of leadership. And to me, a lot of this comes down to inclusive leadership. I sort of find there's a lot of inclusive leadership training out there and all sorts of things. And that's great if it works for your business. But the reality for me is it's about being an authentic human being that actually wants to work with their people, that understands the challenges and takes the time to listen and then works in a way that really does include and respect everybody. And in order to do that, you've got to be respected, you've got to have followership, but you've also got to be open about your own challenges. And I think for me, that's sort of one of the clear underlying messages around this. We often jump to solutions, as I said, being about fix the women or fix this person, fix that person. Yes, it's a cultural issue, but actually main drivers of culture are often leaders. And so I think there's something we can all take away from these findings in terms of the way that we lead. And we've got to adjust that way. We didn't grow up leading. I certainly didn't grow up leading where I'd have people not in the room, people in the room. I grew up in a really traditional workplace model when most people typically came in. But that doesn't mean that I can't learn how to lead 
in a new way of working. I think it's incumbent upon every leader to do that because if you don't, as it shows here, only 10% of the women that we polled said they'd be with our organisation for more than five years. 10%. That can't be right. That doesn't make economic sense, let alone anything else. The report also finds that working conditions for women have deteriorated. In 2022, 59% of women experienced harassment, compared to 52% the year before. This included things like unwanted physical advances or repeated disparaging comments and microaggressions, like being interrupted or talked over or patronised at work. However, only 23% of microaggressions are reported compared to 66% of harassment behaviours, And women still fear backlash for speaking out. 93% of women reporting non-inclusive behaviours fear that it will negatively impact their careers. And most feel their employers won't take action even if they speak out against these behaviours. When we're talking about non-inclusive behaviours, we're able to see what is harassment, what is microaggressions. And then we were able to see is there a difference in reporting because microaggressions, if you look online, it's small or seemingly small, often unintended behaviours. And we all know, we've probably all experienced them and they are often very small, but they can have really big impact on an individual, even just one off or when it's more of a consistent basis. So last year, this non-inclusive behaviour data, that was around 53, 54% of the respondents said they had experienced non-inclusive behaviour in a work context, this year, that was nearly 60% of the respondents. But when we look at the difference from a microaggression and a harassment, around 14% said that they'd experienced harassment, and then around 50%-ish had experienced microaggressions. So microaggressions, absolutely more common, but there's a big difference in the reporting. In the two-thirds of those that experienced harassment reported it and clearly felt able to report it and had a route to report it, only 23% of those that experienced microaggressions reported it. And when you then look at, well, why not? Number one was fear of career penalty, that's 93%. And actually a general view that no action will be taken and it's not serious enough to report. We've been talking about behaviour in the workplace, microaggressions, non-inclusive behaviours. We've been talking about this for a long time, but these women are telling us that they are still experiencing this, actually an increasing number over last year. And then you've then got the intersectionality impact, because if you are an LGBT plus woman or a woman who is in a racial or ethnic minority in your home country, guess what? You experience more of them. And again, the data is really stark in terms of choosing not to report and why not. Now, that to me comes down to the fundamentals of your everyday culture. So this is not tweaking around the edges. This is having a culture where A, it's not tolerated and B, people understand what a microaggression is. And it sounds really basic and you can sort of sit there and think, how could you not understand? But actually, a lot of people don't understand. It's unashamedly educating them in a way where it really will have an impact. Everyone is responsible for their behaviour. And it's getting people to understand A, what poor behaviour looks like but B, what will happen? And then that leads you on to, right, what about the reporting? And in my view, and actually my experience being in an incredible organisation, my experience of this is that people will report where they feel able to, they feel safe to do so, where they don't feel like they'll have career penalty. 
that they know it will be taken seriously. And that, to me, comes down to everyday culture. Those findings, from my perspective, are amongst the most depressing of this whole research, is that this is clearly still happening. And unfortunately, only a quarter of women that suffer from microaggressions actually feel able to report them. What I love about this research is it not only highlights the key challenges women face in the hybrid working model, but it also recommends some key actions employers can take to address these challenges. The first is really taking action to address the burnout epidemic. The second is making mental well-being a priority. The third is making flexible working work for women. The fourth is approaching hybrid working with inclusion and flexibility in mind, which also means that those who are not physically present have as much access to leaders and sponsors as those who are in the office. And fifth, really focus on building a truly inclusive culture. This means holding leaders accountable for the behavior they're engaging in or allowing their team members to engage in that create other people's experiences of inequality. Here, Emma shares more on why culture should be the number one focus. Culture is the most important thing. You can have every policy. You can introduce a flexible working policy, which frankly you should have, but people aren't going to avail themselves of it unless you A, adjust their workload accordingly. So if someone's reducing their hours, then look at it and think about it. And also if people aren't going to feel judged for working in a way that suits them. And I think there's still far too much of that goes on. Yes, there are certain things on burnout. Our approach is very much about the organisation, the team and the individual setting the environment where people feel able to have a conversation is sitting your team down and we have guidance that basically has great little tools in there that you can actually have conversations with your team you can try and understand the way that you're allocating work think about the six factors does everybody feel connected does everyone feel like they belong well if not why not and it's generally really simple fixes it's just tweaks that need to happen And then I'd say, finally, for the support outside, as women, we can often be in this situation where it is overwhelming. I have to say, I myself, during the pandemic, got to the point where I think I was burnt out because I was so pulled in so many directions. But I was so lucky that I was able to talk about that. And I was able to say, look, I just need time. And actually, for me, part of it was just realising I'm not superwoman and really learning to let go of some stuff and learning that the world will still carry on, I was able to have those conversations. And I think there are so many people that aren't able to do that. And so I think as organisations, what can we do? Well, we can lead in an inclusive way. We can make sure our culture, our everyday culture, so not what we say, but what we actually do and what we live, we can make sure that's always respectful, always inclusive. And we can educate. And if you want to talk about the non-inclusive behaviours findings, but that is a classic example of, in my view, there is still not enough education that's gone on there in terms of the behaviours that people are encountering. And frankly, that doesn't make people want to stay with an organisation. I really hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Just a quick one before you go. If you love our podcast and you would like more of it, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. Your support means so much to me. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And just a reminder, if you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.